Well hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. This is the 11th part of the reading and we're continuing chapter 3. Now if you haven't already please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner and there for $5 a month you can not only support this podcast but also get access to additional exclusive Patreon only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 3 continued. Fifteenth day's run to noon fix on Wednesday the 27th of January 1971. Distance fixed to fix 181 miles. Calculated distance to finish 1,405.75 miles. Days remaining 5. The passage between Martinique and Dominica was now 77 miles west-northwest and the St. Lucia Channel between Martinique and St. Lucia Islands lay ahead, west-southwest, 55 miles off. The St. Lucia Passage looked the more desirable if Gypsy Moth could make it, but it might be too much of a squeeze on that jibe. I thought I must try to make it, however. By six that evening, I was getting restless at not having sighted Martinique. Always after a long ocean passage without a position check, I am apprehensive of some awful blunder in the navigation. Then, suddenly, a few minutes afterwards, I could see land with a high peak, a cone bearing 300 degrees. I think this peak is Vauclin Mountain, I logged. I got quite excited at first, thinking it might be Mount Pele, the most romantic mountain in the world for me as a boy because of a story in the boy's own paper about the great eruption of 1902 and the strong portraits of the characters in the story, particularly of the old crone, the Sibyl, who foretold the coming eruption. On that terrible day, the whole city of Saint-Pierre, with its 30,000 inhabitants, was wiped out within a few minutes. In the harbour, the ships burst into flame and sank in the boiling sea. Then I noted that Pelé would be 22 miles behind Mount Falkland, as seen from Gypsy Moth's position, so I feared my romantic surge had been groundless. Later I decided it was Pelé after all because it had the right bearing and the chart gave its height as 4,400 feet. When it comes to seeking a peak that high from seaward, what is 40 miles of distance? Night fell as I was approaching the St. Lucia Channel between Martinique and St. Lucia, with the swell livening up and rolling in from the east. The log records a long series of bearings of the Ponte de Enfalite. It was a tricky passage because at first Gypsy Moth would not point north of the middle of St. Lucia. I was very reluctant to jibe, however, both because of the hours of hard work involved and because I suspected that the wind was being temporarily deflected by the islands and would improve in direction. Meanwhile, the heavy rain showers blotted out all the lights on the land, and this... I did not like. I knew there was strong currents between the islands. The list of observed bearings lengthened, but presently, at 21.20, Gypsy Moth was far enough into the channel for the Ponte Castries light at the northwestern end of St. Lucia to open up from behind the land. At 10 o'clock, I reckoned that Gypsy Moth was past the middle of the channel and into the Caribbean Sea. I celebrated with a glass of delicious Courvoisier and sank the empty bottle carefully and respectfully to the bottom of the channel, which, I reflected, was appropriately French. Before daybreak, the calm, lake-like gliding through the water was quite different from what I had expected from the Caribbean. It intensified the feeling growing on me that I was being shut in. Although the Caribbean stretched 1,350 miles ahead of me to leave the broad Atlantic, gave me a feeling of claustrophobia, 
of being encompassed by menacing land. The feeling of sailing in inland waters was soon shattered by a fierce, short rain and wind squall which came literally out of the blue, with the sun still shining during it. Gypsy Moth got out of control broadside to the wind, even though I had the tiller tackle rigged. I think the rudder was too much out of the water or too near the horizontal to bite or to be effective. At one moment, I thought she would not come upright again without some more drastic action, such as letting all the sheets fly. It seemed very cold in the driving rain. I had had no time to put anything on as I rushed into the cockpit, but I grabbed a moonweave blanket, which wanted to wash anyway, and put that round me like a shawl. It was very effective, besides being the quickest way of getting some covering. Maybe one needs some form of cloak in such emergencies. I have thought about this squall, as there are others about. I must have a drill ready, and I shall try having both the mizzen and the mizzen staysail at the ready for dropping, as far as topping lifts, fangs and halyards are concerned. I could let them fly at the first sign of trouble, and let them lie, to rehoist easily afterwards. With the remaining sail area forward, I should then have much more control. I would prefer to get rid of the topsail, but that has to be eased down its track and the halyard needs careful watching. What about some breakfast? It is 9.30. 16th day's run to noon fix, Thursday the 28th of January 1971. Distance, fix to fix, 161 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 1,249 miles. Days remaining, 4. The fix-to-fix fix was as much as I had expected through the St. Lucia Channel. At midnight, I hoisted that damn topsail again, this time sheeting it to the end of the mizzen boom. I must say the boat seems more lively since, but it does not make much woe when a squall strikes. The setup is so involved and the topsail always causes trouble because it is set so high, and therefore has a big healing moment. But it was a successful move, and in the freshening wind, Gypsy Moth was going well. 17th day's run, noon fix on Friday the 29th of January 1971, distance fix to fix 190 miles, calculated distance to finish 1077.25, days remaining 3. In the afternoon I finished making up a makeshift clue for Big Brother. I pierced the strengthened corner of the sail behind the broken clue ring in three places with an inch and a half intervals between the holes, drove a shackle pin through each hole to fasten a shackle there then gathered these together by passing a fourth through them, to which I attached the bowline of the sheet. It turned out a strong makeshift repair which did not fail me. Immediately afterwards I had to jibe because I was headed for a group of islands, Ilas Rosriques, belonging to Venezuela. Nine minutes later, Ila Le Oquila was abeam ten miles to port. These islands caught me unprepared. I hurriedly studied them on the chart and referred to the Admiralty sailing directions, but I was definitely caught out and in a bustle. Then, halfway through the jibe, the time came for me to call the BBC. I asked them to defer my call, which they did. I still had a lot to learn, and the islands kept cropping up and going by at what seemed a terrific pace for a yacht, which made me think there must be the father of all currents there. I had approached the islands to take advantage of the equatorial current on its way to the Gulf of Mexico to become the Gulf Stream. However, Gypsy Moth was sailing faster than the speedometer showed. I was to discover later that the axles of the tiny propellers which measure the sailing speed of the yacht had worn out during the voyage, and I had not realised it. As a result, the log was not registering at all at low speeds and under-registering by about a half knot at high speeds. 
I had thought that the distance made good was more than the distance sailed because of a strong current, whereas the difference was mostly due to the log failure. I was due again at the infernal wireless and felt jumpy at having to leave off keeping watch with so many islets close on hand. At midnight, I raised myself from my drowsy sleep to go and rig the pole for Big Brother, but when I got on deck, I voted against it. The breeze had freshened up considerably and I saw the wind speed indicator at 24 knots and Gypsy Moth could well do without the running sail at present. Perhaps my real reason was that with the end of the race in sight, I was nursing the pole. I wanted in any case to put one more lashing at each end of the join before I used it again. It is very difficult with two large diameter poles lashed together to prevent the butt of one from slewing sideways in the join and it was already a few degrees awry and as soon as they are not exactly parallel, the compression load must set up a tremendous strain. So I secured the pole on the deck again and dumped the big runner back in the forepeak. I am suffering from a complaint quite new to me tonight. My bottom is sore with sunburn. I was working for an hour or two on the clue of the big runner, and I must have got burnt then. But I am not moaning about it, because it is such a wonderful thing for a Briton to be able to get a burnt bottom in January. I dabbed calamine lotion on it, and I had a long talk on the RT with Frank Page of The Observer. He seemed sympathetic, and I am only too willing to be drawn out. He asked if I had done a thousand miles in five days during this passage, as, he said, I had told Captain Newman of the Cutty Sark I hoped to do. I said, no. I feel there is a current fairly whisking gypsy moth along here, and the run might be up to 200 miles tomorrow. The disadvantage is that I have had to come close to the string of islands close to the coast to get full advantage of the current, and I could soon be in trouble if the wind backed when I was asleep. The heading is okay up to now, one hour after midnight. At 0400. It always tweaks a romantic chord to see the Southern Cross again. Brilliant stars in a darkish sky, one or two tiny black clouds. See, surprisingly pobbly. At daybreak, I suddenly thought I must try a star fix because I would almost certainly be needing one when running down onto the lee shore of Nicaragua. It was a dismal failure. By the time I had found the star volume and worked out the value of Aries, it was too light in the sky and I could not pick up in the sextant any of the three stars I wanted. It was a good lesson. I had not needed a star fix for a long time and I determined to smarten up the drill. The boom mend seen as it lies on deck, has a bend in it, and I must doctor it up before hoisting. It is now needed. The speedometer is recording only 7 knots, though the wind is 17. I suppose the speedometer is okay? By 11 that morning, at long last, the boom mend had been strengthened. The shackle clue for Big Brother strengthened, and by himself was boomed out to starboard. It was a long and at times tricky operation to shift the heavy, murderously jagged pole from one side of the deck to the other before even the hoisting could start, and I noticed that the mast was bending where the heel of the pole pressed against it, and that a whip had developed at the top of the mast. I hoped that the remaining jumper stay was strong enough. I hate jumper struts. I think them old-fashioned for offshore work and more likely to cause a mast break than to prevent it. 18th day's run to noon fix on Saturday the 30th of January 1971. Distance, fix to fix, 215.5 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 868.5 miles. Days remaining, 2. By mid-afternoon, Gypsy Moth was going well with a fresh breeze. 
but I was concerned to get still more speed out of her. I dropped the mizzen staysail experimentally. Gypsy Moth then seemed to sail less heeled and to be more efficient as well as making much less effort. She also tended to gripe up to windward less and I eased off the number one jib as well. This gave fractionally better speed and more comfortable, less anxious sailing. I wondered if the 600 running sail with its lower cut and 90 square foot more area would be better as a running Genoa than the number one jib and I determined to try it when the wind eased at night as seemed usual in these parts. Since noon, Gypsy Moth had been sailing at a high speed, averaging between 8.7 and 9 knots during 8 hour periods logged. Later I concluded that the speedometer was under registering by about half a knot and that Gypsy Moth was belting out the fastest speed of the passage. At dusk I shot Capella, Procyon and Sirius for a three star fix to improve my drill and at 0635 the next morning I got a planet fix from Jupiter and Venus. At 0955 on Sunday the 31st of January. I had been looking hard into the tactics and I think it would be best to hold this jibe until after the radio telegraphy session which I have arranged to make at 2pm. I reckon that to jibe now would entail taking 200 miles to pass across the main shipping lanes to Panama and that of this 200 miles 100 would be in the dark. Whereas if I lead the jibe until 3pm I shall then be about 75 miles past this morning's planet fix and will cut across the first three lanes in daylight. The first three lanes are from the Mediterranean, the English Channel and New York via Puerto Rico. That will leave me with only two more lanes to cross, New York via Windward Passage, Cuba, Haiti, 325 miles further on and the big last lane from Mexico, Florida and the east coast of the US to be crossed 215 miles from San Juan del Norte. Another reason for holding on as at present is that the longer Gypsy Moth stays on this jibe, the faster the speed she will make on the port jibe when she changes over. Now I must bake. I had no bread yesterday and this morning I missed it when I had only one potato ready for my breakfast fry up. 19th day's run to noon fix on the Sunday the 31st of January 1971. Distance fixed to fix 231.5 miles. Calculate distance to finish, 665.5 miles. Days remaining, 1. The 19th day's run of 231.5 miles between fixes was Gypsy Moth's best day's run to date. At last, I had got the sort of daily run which I had hoped for every day of the passage. The total of the fix-to-fix -fix runs for the last three days was 637 miles. At 15.15 I wrote, The confounded RT upsets everything. I held off jibing or starting any deck work which I might not have had time to finish before the RT session booked for 14.05 but the operator, after I'd spent an exasperating half hour trying to contact him, said that he could not handle me at the time and that it would throw Portishead out of gear if he took the call then. He asked me to call again at 5pm which is in one and a half hours time. Author's note, the exasperation was excessive in the circumstances the post office staff were on strike and it was sporting of Porter's head to take my call at all. I ought to eat something, having had nothing but breakfast, so the RT will chop right into the jibe or else I'll have to do it in the dark. Later, probably after nightfall but no time is given in the log, I wrote, I started the jibe act an hour before the second RT meeting arranged. 
It's no go. I keep on falling asleep. I have put on a large saucepan full of spuds and onions. God knows why, because all I can do now is to sleep for a while. More anon. And an hour after midnight on the 1st of February, I was quite upset. No, that's not quite the right word. Perhaps thrown is better. By the RT affair yesterday. I think it upset my cool and made me insufficiently aware of what was going on around me, such as the wind and the weather. I just dug into the job of the moment and paid no attention to the scene. I record this because it illustrates what a great drag and handicap is a daily RT session, especially for a long-distance transmitting. If one considers the added fatigue and nervous strain caused by it, I reckon it can cost a racer anything up to 10 miles a day. However, this also shows how silly one can be to let trivial things disturb one. That morning, at 0616, I got another star and planet fix, using Vega, Jupiter and Venus. This gave me a speed for the past 18 and a quarter hours of 201.5 miles per day. When it comes to the noon position of this, the last of the 20 days in which I had hoped to sail my point-to-point -point distance of 4,000 miles, it reads... 20th day's run to noon fix, Monday the 1st of February 1971. Distance, fix to fix, 203.5 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 465.5 miles. Days remaining, none. So there it was. The flag had come down when Gypsy Moth and I still had 464.5 miles to go to the finishing point, a percentage of 11.6. I had not hit the target, but I do not recall any feelings of great disappointment as I completed my calculations on that 20th day, probably because I had in my heart accepted on the 10th day that the daily average required from the remaining 10 days of 227.25 miles was hopelessly beyond Gypsy Moth's capabilities. I was more excited than depressed. The total of the past four noon-to-noon -noon runs was 840.5 miles, an average of 210 miles per day, and I still had high hopes of breaking the barrier of sailing a 1,000 miles in just five days. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing, and we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's the Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out the Mariner there. And at the moment, we're on board with the 40-foot Trimaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.